0: Hello, I'm Philip,
1: and I'm Phoebe.
0: Welcome to Dad
1: and Daughter Do Death.
0: Hi, Phoebe. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes. Something that uh, has caught my attention this week, Phoebe, that I thought I'd just mm. tell you about is sometimes in American true crime stories or even in dramatizations of crime. You hear about someone being Miranderized in the calendar of true crime trivia that you gave me for 2023, <laughs> for <Christmas. laughs> this happened to pop up today.
1: Oh, ah, so, um, there you go.
0: The words are, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand the rights I have just read to you? With these rights in mind do you wish to speak to me? Those are the formal words of someone's Miranda rights. And, the and reason- they're,
1: very subtle, sorry, they saying they're very subtly different to kind of being read your rights in England, aren't they? Because when you're arrested yeah. in England, you still get read your rights, but they're not called your Miranda rights, they're just your rights, aren't they?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've always just had them as their rights. But yeah, I guess being in America, it was a big thing when they came up with the subtle word changes that, that yes. formulated these. So the story of the Miranda rights go back to... A landmark case in 1966, which was between the Supreme Court of Arizona versus Miranda. Ernesto Arturo Miranda was arrested in March 1963 for kidnapping, beating and raping an 18-year-old woman in Arizona. Now, he participated in a lineup of suspects and police implied that he was positively identified to which he eventually confessed to being the culprit. And he proceeded to write down his confession on a piece of paper that had already been printed at the top. This statement has been made voluntarily and of my own free will, with no threats, coercion or promises of immunity, and with full knowledge of my legal rights, understanding any statement I make can and will be used against me. However, he wasn't informed of his right to speak to an attorney or his right to remain silent. Mm -hmm. So when his case came to court, he was actually sentenced to 20 to 30 years in prison, but he had an appeal which was successful. And the basis of the appeal was that he hadn't been given his full rights of having the right to remain silent or the right to an attorney. And on that basis, they actually quashed his conviction. Yes. On a kind of a technicality, I suppose. However, he was retried. He was retried retried. (laughs) and found guilty. (laughs) (laughs) And then found guilty based on the testimony of other people. But nevertheless, it was a landmark case. And it was after him that uh, Miranda rights were put in place, which include the words about you have the right to remain silent and the right to an attorney.
1: It's called setting a precedent, isn't it? Yeah. So... It it's is. like a legal precedent. And the other one that's really famous is the Alford plea. Yeah. That, um, and that was, yeah, I think it's really interesting. All these like nuances, especially in American law. Yeah. That's kind of come from cases and people saying, well, <laughs> um, and yeah. So, yes. that, yeah, I, I thought so, it was very interesting. And yes. I think he was, um, he went to prison and he then did. he came out and then he was murdered. He was, yeah. yeah. So
0: he, um, So in 1967, he was retried, he was convicted, and again he was sentenced to 20 to 30 years, but he was actually paroled in 1972, so he did about four or five years. Then he basically got into other trouble and ended up in prison. He was paroled in 1975. On January the 31st, Ah.
1: 1975,
0: he was fatally stabbed in a Phoenix bar fight. So there you go.
1: I'm sure there was something to do with in, he was like, he got relatively famous and like in prison, people would send him like their, like arrest records or something like that. And he'd sign them. There was something okay. like, he'd, send them and he'd like sign them to say, Oh yeah. that's
0: he, he made autographed Miranda warning cards. Oh, there you go.
1: Yeah. For one pound
0: 50 <laughs> uh, for $1.50. Yeah. <laughs> that must be what it was. Um, yeah, I don't
1: know what it so It's got the words in, printed on it. Yeah, <laughs> like you
0: signed it. Yeah. So that's where the yeah. Miranda, the name Miranda, yeah. comes that's from. That's really I, interesting, isn't it? I had, I had wondered, and I was really surprised when I saw that. So uh, yeah, there you go. Thank you. There's all sorts of interesting bits of information coming that's out of this. Good. <laughs> I thought it
1: would be an interesting little, uh, little thing to have on your desk. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. So, Phoebe, I've been looking for interesting stories to tell you about, and I've come across this one on the internet which is, as always, there for anybody else to find. And it is the story of Herbert Rouse Armstrong.
1: Okay. I have no idea who that is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, because I'll tell you all about him. Herbert Armstrong was born at 23 Princes Square in Plymouth, Devon, on the 13th of May, 1869. Okay. So Victorian Victorian beginnings. <laughs> but an oldie. Yeah. The family later moved to Edge Hill in Liverpool, and he went on to study at St Catherine's College, Cambridge, where he got a degree in law, and qualified as a, a solicitor in February eighteen ninety five. So he was about twenty five, twenty six when he uh, when he qualified as a solicitor. Nice. He then went on to gain an MA from Cambridge in nineteen o one. Now, Armstrong started practising as a solicitor in Liverpool and then in Newton Abbot. However, he successfully applied for a vacancy in Hay-on-Wye, Breckenshire, which is right on the English-Welsh border. I think half of the little town is in Wales and half of it's in England because there's a river, okay. river that right runs on the border. through the middle. Yeah, the river that runs through it is the border, basically. So uh, That's yeah. cool. He got this job and moved to Hay-on-Wye. In nineteen oh six. So the following year nineteen oh seven he met and married Catherine Mary Friend of West Tinmouth, and the couple went on to have three children, two girls, Eleanor and Margaret, and a boy called Pearson. Nice. And the Armstrong family moved to an imposing family home called Mayfield in the village of Cusop Dingle, not far from
1: the cuss up dingle
0: cuss up dingle Where Herbert ran his law firm of Cheese and Armstrong. There you go. <laughs> now, I'm not entirely sure where the Cheese comes from because okay. I, <laughs> because in the rest of the story there's no reference to anybody called Cheese, <laughs> okay. another, I presume another solicitor that he went into partnership with yeah. or something, unless he just thought it was a fun name to have it called yeah. Cheese and Armstrong. Basically, he got his own law firm, which he may or may not have shared with someone called Cheese. Okay. So, Armstrong was a hard working man and he rose in the social community of the town and he was appointed clerk to the justices. He also joined the volunteer force and rose to the rank of captain. Bearing in mind, this is all like just before the First World War. Yeah. But then in 1914, he was called up where he eventually gained the rank of Major in the Royal Engineer's Territorial Force. wow. He didn't see an awful lot of action, but he did go to France from May to October in 1918. Mm-hmm. So he was there for five months or so. Uh, in on the, the front line. On the front line, yeah. And after the war, he was quite commonly referred to as Major Armstrong. Just a year later, in May 1919, Kitty Armstrong, which is, that's what his wife was known as, her name was Catherine, so she was known as Kitty, Mm -hmm. Kitty Armstrong's health began to weaken. Oh no. The symptoms that she was showing were diagnosed by the local doctor, Dr. Thomas Hinks, as a case of brachial neuritis. Now, brachial neuritis is a it doesn't help much, a type of peripheral neuropathy that affect the chest, shoulder, arm and hand. And peripheral neuropathy is a disease which itself demonstrates itself by pain or loss of function in the nerves that carry signals to and from the brain to whichever body part is affected. So it's kind of a right. nervous nervous disease that he, uh, okay. he, he diagnosed her with. I don't know what sort of treatment he may have been able to have prescribed her, but she appeared to recover and she didn't need to consult Dr. Hinks for over a year. That's good. But in 1920, her health, both physical and mental, deteriorated again. Oh no. Herbert Armstrong kept in close contact with Dr. Hinks and showed great concern for his wife, consulting relatives and friends, keeping them informed, Dr. Hinks found that Mrs. Armstrong was showing signs of mental collapse and came to the conclusion that it was connected to her illness. At the end of August, Mrs. Armstrong was admitted to Barnwood, which is a private mental asylum near Gloucester. When she was admitted, she was found to have a fever. She was vomiting. She had heart murmurs and albumin in her urine. Oh, no. There was also partial paralysis in her hands and feet and a loss of muscle tone. Mrs Armstrong was also delusional. She doesn't sound very well. She doesn't sound very well at all, does she? Her condition began to improve at Barnwood and she was discharged home in January 1921. Oh, that's good. But shortly after she got home, her condition got worse again and she died a month (gasps) after her return on the 22nd of February. 1921. Oh my goodness. Now Dr Hinks was very puzzled by Kitty Armstrong's symptoms but nevertheless on her death certificate he recorded that she had died of gastritis aggravated by heart disease and Oh, Okay.
1: So
0: outwardly Herbert had shown a tremendous amount of concern for his wife sitting by her bedside reading to her in the evening's and leaving his office early whenever possible to be with her. But it would seem that there had been problems in their marriage. Now, this case has been studied quite considerably over the years, and people who have researched into this couple kind of assumed that the Armstrong's marriage was a failure, or was at least failing, because of the domineering attitude of Mrs. Armstrong to Mm. her husband.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. And it was generally believed that Mrs Armstrong, Kitty, Catherine Armstrong, Mm -hmm. was quite an unpleasant woman who regularly abused and humiliated her husband in public. Oh, no way. And it was not unnoticed that although the local newspaper described Mrs Armstrong as a popular hay lady, as in a lady from Hay on White, few people attended her funeral. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's
1: interesting.
0: However, on the other hand, Mrs Armstrong, whenever separated from her husband, either because she was in hospital or when he was away at the war or whenever that they were separated, it is reported that she always wanted for the family to be back together as soon as they could be. So, who's telling the truth?
1: Mm. That's a tricky one. Mm.
0: Well, whatever the truth... Herbert's service in the First World War had opened up new experiences for the Major, and he had had several affairs. Mm. And he also went to dances in hay and made passes to local girls. On the day of Mrs Armstrong's death, the servants in the house, this imposing house called Mayfield, closed all the curtains as a mark of respect. But the first thing that Armstrong did when he got home was to open them all again. Okay. So she's died after a period of bad health where she'd stayed in an asylum for a while. But nevertheless, she's her health has deteriorated and she's died. I don't actually know how old she was, but I'm guessing she would have been of a similar age. So probably late 40s, that sort of age, possibly early 50s by this stage. So not particularly old. Not particularly old. No. She's died, not many people came to the funeral, and it doesn't appear that Herbert Armstrong is that sad.
1: Hmm, that's suspicious.
0: Herbert Armstrong carried on his business as a solicitor, but he had a business rival in Hayon wye another solicitor called Oswald Martin. At one time, they were representing opposing parties in a property sale. The Villinwith estate, which could have resulted in Armstrong's client losing and Armstrong having to pay a large sum of money to Martin's client. Now the details of the transaction are not very clear, but Martin subsequently said that there was a question around the title deeds, and it would appear that the money entrusted to Armstrong as a deposit on the sale was gone. Oswald Martin kept mentioning the matter of completion to Armstrong but Armstrong repeatedly delayed.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So it sounds like he might have uh, done something else with the money. And Mm. when this other solicitor kept uh, saying, come on, where's the money? When are we going to finish this this case? He just kept postponing, delaying, procrastinating. That's fishy. It is fishy. Eventually... Herbert Armstrong invited Oswald Martin to a meeting at his house on the 26th of October 1921. When he got okay. there, Martin found tea laid out with cakes and buttered scones. Now, Martin probably thought that Armstrong wanted to discuss completion of the property sale, but the two men merely discussed everyday things, sort of about office organisation and general things. They didn't actually discuss this particular elephant in the room around where he's missing money.
1: Yeah.
0: Herbert Armstrong spoke about being lonely after the death of his wife, and then during the meeting over tea, Armstrong picked up one of the scones and said, excuse fingers, and handed it to Martin, who ate it. Okay. When he got home, Martin became violently (gasps) ill. Oh, no. Oswald Martin's father-in-law, John Davis, just happened to be the chemist in hay Why? That's handy. And he recalled having made several sales of arsenic to Herbert Armstrong, mm. supposedly to kill dandelions. Despite the fact it was okay. autumn and there were hardly any dandelions <laughs> in the garden of Mayfield anyway. But that's why he was buying them.
1: Interesting.
0: Now, the chemist was now suspicious of Oswald Martin's sudden illness. And when Oswald told him that he'd been to tea at Mayfield, John Davis became even more concerned. Mm. Meanwhile, Dr. Hinks, remember him? Yep. Became struck by how similar Oswald Martin's symptoms were to those of Kitty Armstrong. Yep. Dr. Hinks, Oswald Martin and John Davis discussed the situation and Davis warned the Martins against receiving gifts.
1: Interesting.
0: It was subsequently discovered that a few weeks before this funny little tea party, a box of chocolates had been anonymously sent to the House of the Martins.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: Mrs. Martin's sister-in-law had eaten some and became violently ill. Oh, no. Unfortunately, some of these chocolates remained, and when they were examined, they were found to have a small hole in the base. (sighs) Dr. Hinks contacted the Home Office and explained his suspicions about what happened to Oswald Martin, and he later voiced suspicions about Mrs. Armstrong's death as well. Samples of the chocolates and Oswald's urine were examined and found to contain arsenic. Okay. and the Home Office now passed the case to Scotland Yard. Meanwhile, Herbert Armstrong began to bombard Oswald Martin with further invitations to tea. <laughs> mm, I bet he did. <laughs> Which Oswald found it increasingly difficult to find excuses to say no. <laughs>
1: no, I think you might poison me. I'm not coming for tea. Well,
0: Thanks. I suppose it's a diffi- difficult situation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Scotland Yard moved in and after sort of observing what was going on and reviewing the evidence, they arrested Armstrong on the thirty first of December while at his office in Ayonwy. Mm. Of course, he maintained that he was innocent, but when he was arrested, the police found a packet of arsenic in his pocket and many more in his house oh. Mrs Armstrong's body was exhumed and examined by the eminent home office pathologist, Bernard Spilsbury. Her body was found to be riddled with arsenic. Oh, no. And on the 19th of January, 1922, Armstrong was charged with the willful murder of his wife. Mm-mm. To which he responded, I repeat what I said before. I am absolutely innocent.
1: Oh, dear. The evidence would suggest
0: otherwise. It would rather, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Armstrong's trial for the murder of his wife began at Hereford before Justice Darling on the 3rd of April 1922. Another great name. It is, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Armstrong was defended by Sir Henry Curtis Bennett, one of the leading criminal trial banisters of the day public and media interest was enormous. The jury would have known that a year earlier there had been a trial at Camarthen Assizes of another solicitor, Harold Greenwood, for the murder of his wife by poison,
1: mm. which he
0: supposedly made out that it was an illness that she had. But Greenwood, in that case, had been acquitted.
1: Oh, that's Interesting.
0: Also, the fact that the three men who brought the charges to the police included Armstrong's business rival, Oswald Martin, and his father-in-law, which looked suspicious to some people as if Herbert Armstrong was being framed.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Because they kind of like looking like they're ganging up on him.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, it would be um, easy to, um, you know, try and frame him because – um, if they're working together, they could combine and if they're they're able to get hold of the um right medication that could yeah. do this, it wouldn't yeah. be too difficult, would it?
0: Yeah, I mean i i Martin might be framing him to 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 close down Herbert Armstrong's law business.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So he could have been framed in Where do things um, have happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the arsenic could have been planted on him if if Oswald's father-in-law was the chemist to free access to arsenic. Yeah. Mm. The widespread belief was that he would be acquitted. Uh, Okay. But the prosecution case was a strong one. Catherine Armstrong's death was now clearly due to arsenic poisoning and Armstrong Mm. had made huge purchases of arsenic. Well, least, yeah, you uh, can't really sign John that away, can you? Well, no, there, there has to be a poisonous book or something, surely. Yeah. So the defense had somehow to make the jury believe that Mrs. Armstrong had committed suicide by getting out of bed, going downstairs, and helping herself to arsenic without anybody seeing or hearing her. Mm. Or that the massive doses of arsenic that were found in her body were somehow got into her system in an accidental way.
1: So you so, accidentally ingest that amount, of, amount yeah. of arsenic, do you?
0: Yeah, it's it's not, uh, not likely, is it? No. And I suppose the fact that he was very attentive to her, visiting her all yeah. the time, you know, that's a great opportunity to, uh, you know... Oh, Administer drink this, some more, yeah. You know, drink this cup of tea or have this water or whatever. Yeah. It was particularly impossible for her to have done that herself because... Towards the end of her life, she was virtually paralysed. She couldn't have walked or really done this herself. Yeah, so, that's uh,
1: true. So I guess it would be really difficult for the doctor, to, well, the doctor to administer it to her in her own home. And for when she went away, she got better. Yeah, that's it true. It would have been the other way around, wouldn't it? I guess yeah. if it wasn't.
0: And Dr. Spilsbury, the home office pathologist, insisted that the fatal dose must have been taken within 24 hours of her death. Okay. When she was at home.
1: Ah, okay, yeah. And
0: Dr Hinks affirmed that for Mrs Armstrong to have taken that dose herself was absolutely impossible. Hmm. So it's not looking good for Herbert, is it?
1: No, it doesn't sound like a suicide either. So (laughs) definitely, I mean, it definitely doesn't sound like a suicide. So yeah, not looking good for him.
0: So Herbert Armstrong had to explain his habits concerning arsenic or rather the white powder arsenic trioxide, which he was buying. Mm. He claimed that it was his practice to put small portions of arsenic into individual pouches, which he squirted into the ground near spots where dandelions tended to grow. One of these small pouches was found on him after he was arrested, and there was no reasonable explanation, really, offered for why he was carrying it around particularly yeah. as the arrest was made in december when yeah you don't need
1: to be getting rid of dandelions in december really
0: no mm-hmm. and armstrong did not come off well under questioning by justice darling concerning this point yeah exactly that why are you carrying arsenic to kill the dandelions yeah. in december <laughs> After the trial, two possible motives have emerged for Catherine Armstrong's poisoning. Firstly, Armstrong had decided he wanted a different, more congenial wife. Secondly, Catherine had written a will in 1917, leaving the bulk of her estate not to her husband, but to their children.
1: Uh, okay. Armstrong
0: produced a new will following his wife's death, giving him control of her estate, but studies suggest that it was probably forged. Oh, no. For some time before the Velenwith estate affair, Armstrong's business had been in financial difficulties. The difficulties in relation to the sale of that particular estate made things even worse for him.
1: Uh -uh. However,
0: the evidence against Armstrong, though considerable, was nonetheless only circumstantial. No one had actually seen Armstrong administering the poison, and Mrs Armstrong had occasionally spoken of suicide. Some medicines contained arsenic, and there were plenty of other people coming into contact with her at Mayfield. Uh, yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it just him and her, was it? There was no. a lot of other people there kind of in and out of the house. Yeah, yeah. Lots of other people. It was a big house. Yeah. The prosecution failed to show how it was Armstrong and only Armstrong who administered mm. the poison. As for the Oswald Martin poisoning. Other than gaining Armstrong a little time, the death of Oswald Martin would not in any way have relieved Armstrong's business problems. Yeah, that's true. So they were saying, well, yeah, what's the motive? Armstrong made no confession and adamantly maintained his total innocence. But on the 13th of April 1922, at Herefordshire Hall, he was found guilty of the murder of his wife. Oh no. Mr. Justice Darling stated that he concurred with the jury's view and that it was absurd and unsupported by any evidence that Mrs. Armstrong had committed suicide, although it doesn't actually say <laughs> that it was Armstrong at Gilda. Yeah. Nevertheless, he was found guilty and he was sentenced to death. Oh no. So that was on the thirteenth of April. The case went to appeal, but on the sixteenth of May. The Court of Criminal Appeal dismissed his appeal. So, barely six weeks after the jury had found him guilty, Armstrong was hanged by John Ellis at Gloucester Prison on the 31st of May
1: 1922. Oh no. Oh dear.
0: The News of the World reported that when asked by the prison governor on the morning of his execution if he had anything to say, Armstrong's last words were... I am innocent of the crime for which I have been condemned to die.
1: Oh dear. I mean, there's certainly quite a lot of reasonable doubt in there.
0: Well, there, there is. I mean, there's a lot of strong circumstantial evidence, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but who else would have wanted her dead?
1: Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Tricky.
0: His story has been the inspiration of several works of fictions. Dorothy L. Sayers, who is um, most famous for her Lord Peter Whimsy stories, wrote a mystery novel called Unnatural Death, which was kind of loosely based on the story of Herbert Armstrong. And she also wrote a novel called Strong Poison, where a murderer is caught with packets of arsenic. Um, mm. there's a novel by Anthony Barclay Cox called Malice of Forethought, which was written in 1931. Okay. And that also includes someone who uses arsenic to kill dandelions as part of the plot. Oh, that's
1: interesting. <laughs> Can you still get uh, arsenic to, like, kill flowers or...
0: No, I don't think so. You just get oh. Weedol or something, don't you? I mean, yeah, my, that's true, yeah. Which probably hasn't got arsenic in it. I should imagine it's too dangerous. No. Yeah, that's true. So, yes, it's back in those days, sort of at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, where you could just go into a chemist and buy arsenic (laughs) arsenic and various other poisons over the Mm. counter for what would be fairly innocent reasons, Yeah, killing dandelions, but um, yes.
1: To put in your mouse butter.
0: Put in your mouse butter, yes. So I don't think we tend to see arsenic poisoning so much these days. No. You hear of um, antifreeze poisoning, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Not so much arsenic, probably because you can't get really you can't really get hold of arsenic.
1: No, no.
0: <laughs> so there you go. That's the story of Herbert Armstrong, the murder of his wife, the attempted murder of Oswald Martin, allegedly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if he was found guilty of that or not. It, it just says that uh, the, the, the story ends with the fact he was found guilty of the murder of his wife. Um, there
1: you go. I guess if they knew they were going to hang him, they probably didn't need to bother finding him guilty of something else, did they? Uh,
0: maybe not. Yeah. There we go. Really
1: interesting story. Thank you very
0: much. k y is famous for its literary festival that they hold every yes. year as well. Thank you yeah. very much
1: for sharing that story. You're very welcome. Um, You're very welcome. Yeah. An
0: interesting one. I will find some pictures. Thank you. Associated Where will you newsletter? share them? Okay, so I will put some pictures onto our Instagram account
1: at Dad and do Death.
0: I'll upload them to Facebook. Dad and Daughter do Death. And if you'd like to email us about this or any of our other stories that we've covered, you can always get in touch with us. Dad and do Death at Gmail dot com. Be good to hear from you.
1: Yeah, thank you for listening. Hopefully, you found this as interesting as I did. And, yeah, let us know if you've got any questions, comments.
0: Yeah, be really good to hear from you.
1: Suggestions me. would be lovely to hear from
0: you. <laughs> Although there are plenty more to uh, talk about.
1: Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. There's always, yeah. There's always more for us to find.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if you found this story interesting, um, by all means, go ahead, look up the case of Herbert Armstrong. You'll find lots, I'm sure, out there.
1: Yeah, have a look at that.
0: Join us next time when once again dad
1: and daughter do death. <laughs>